Matthew 8. Today we're going to begin a study on authority and set some foundation. Let's start in Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Now this centurion was a Gentile who was not under the covenant of Abraham. Now in Romans 1.16, it tells us the gospel of Christ was to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So legally, legally this man had no grounds to come to Jesus. But Jesus said in verse 7, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now, Jesus goes on to say here that this man had greater faith than the covenant people. This man had greater faith than the people who were in covenant with God. Why? Why did this man have more faith than the Jews who were in covenant with God? Verse 9, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. This man was able to exercise faith for something that did not even belong to him. Because he understood authority. Even though he did not have a covenant with God, he understood authority and he recognized that Jesus had authority. He was a military man. Now, I know Peter's been in the military. And I would have thought, if there's one thing on day one that they make clear to you, is that you are under somebody's authority. <laughs> <laughs> so that is something that a military person would be well acquainted with this centurion was under authority and he had other soldiers under his authority so he understood you know the, the rank and file if, um, you know of authority and how it operates he understood that when you tell someone to go they better go, and when you tell someone to come, they better come. So he did not even have the New Testament. It hadn't even been written yet. But he said, speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. He released his faith and established his own point of contact. He established the point of contact when his servant would be healed, when he said, speak the word only. He established when his servant would be healed. Jesus said, I will go heal him, but he said, no, it's not even necessary. Now in verse 13, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. 
and his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Now this is, this is the highest form of faith. When this man said, speak the word only, you don't even have to go there. He realized that the authority in Jesus' words, Jesus' words carried as much authority as if Jesus had gone there personally. And this man recognized that. Notice it says, Jesus said, as thou hast believed. It didn't say, uh, I'm believing. I'm believing that you can heal my servant. He, he had already released his faith and believed. So when we say, well, I'm believing God's going to heal me, we're, we're still not quite there yet. You know what I mean? We're still in the process of exercise, we're, we're in hope that God will believe us, but when you can say, you know, I, I know God has already healed me, now it's just a matter of time. You know, it's just a matter of time and faith. Now in Psalm 107 verse 20, it says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. It doesn't say He sent His word to heal them. It says he sent his word and healed them. Now, if he had sent his word to heal them, it might not have healed them unless they received it. But when he sent his word and healed them, as far as God's concerned, it's already done. As far as God's concerned, he sent the word and it healed them. The word healed and the word delivered. In the mind of God and in the word of God, it is already accomplished. Jesus does not have to go back to the cross and take more stripes or to do anything else to obtain our healing for us. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, The word of God is forever settled in heaven. So that means what's left for us to do, our part in this, is to establish God's word on the earth. If God has already established his word in heaven, then our part is to establish his word upon the earth. And that's what we're doing when we confess the word of God and we're confessing the promises of God in our lives and in our circumstances. We're establishing the word of God on the earth concerning our situation. We have to get into agreement with the word by saying what God says. Now if you think about it, uh, if you think about the ministry of Jesus and when he sent out the apostles and so forth, you think about blind Bartimaeus, you think about the man at the pool of Bethesda, um, you know, the man that they let they tore the roof off and they let the man down. You think about these various people that Jesus healed. Technically, Jesus did not pray for those people. He didn't really pray for them. He established, he commanded by faith what God had already established because Jesus did not introduce healing when he came to the earth. It was it may have been new to those people. It may have been new to them in their generation because 
religious tradition had long since replaced the covenant of Abraham, those people didn't even know healing belonged to them. You remember that woman that was bowed over in the synagogue for 18 years, and Jesus said, woman, you are loosed. And it made them all so mad they wanted to kill him, you know, because he was saying, she's already loosed. You know, she was she's she could have been loosed 18 years ago under the Abrahamic covenant, but they weren't preaching the Abrahamic covenant. They were preaching religious tradition, and and so we know in the Old Testament people were healed, people were raised from the dead. So in Exodus, God said, "I am the Lord that healeth thee." God had always made healing available to His people in the Old Covenant, but they had lost sight of it because they stopped preaching it. And guess what? That's why we went decades and decades and centuries without people being healed in the church because people quit preaching it. And if you quit preaching salvation, people will stop getting saved. And if you stop preaching financial prosperity, the whole church will be broke. So that's, that's where we are right now. We're trying to restore the Word of God. Amen? And restore these truths that have been lost. Now, we have to be like the centurion and find out what the Word says and just say, it is so. The centurion said, Jesus, just speak the Word and it will be done. God acts like everything He said is true. But in a lot of situations, we have acted like the Word of God is not true. So we have to know what the Word of God says. And we have to have an understanding of the authority of words spoken. And you need to have an understanding of the authority in your words. Now, I talked last week over at Jacob's Well, I talked about the power in your words, and I talked about the necessity to only speak what you desire and not to speak things that you don't desire. Because the danger in that is, if you continually speak things that you don't desire and that you don't really mean, and you say, oh well, I didn't really mean it, God really knew what I meant, you know. If you continually say things you don't mean and desire, then when you come to a situation where you're going to release your faith on sickness or whatever this mountain is or whatever this obstacle is, when you go to release your faith, you have confused your spirit. And your spirit doesn't know what you said is what you meant or not. Because your spirit is so used to hearing you say things that you don't mean, then your spirit doesn't know whether you meant it or not when you spoke to that thing. So that's why it's so important to only say what you, Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them. Not what you don't desire. Because it has an effect on your spirit, what you hear yourself say. And if you just speak idle words and things that you didn't really want to come to pass, then when you do want something to come to pass, there's not going to be any faith in your words. Now, let's turn to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. Verse 6. 
But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visitest him? You notice the words man and son of man. Jesus referred to himself as the son of man over and over in his ministry. I counted 30 times in the book of Matthew alone where Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. Now the word um, in verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Now this is actually um, a quotation from Psalm 8. Now, you'll notice the word angels in verse 7. This really should not have been translated. That's incorrect, isn't it? Angels, yeah. Uh, it should be translated Elohim. It's the, it should have been in Psalm 8. It's a quotation from Psalm 8. And it's the Hebrew word for Elohim. And it really should say, Thou madest him a little lower than Elohim. Or a little... God created man a little lower than himself. That's the way it really should have been translated. God set man over the works of his hands and gave man dominion over the earth. Verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Now that sounds a little like a contradiction there. But God put all things in subjection under man's feet. Man was put above it all. God's not going to do this someday. It's something he has already done. Now, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now it says, God has put all things under our feet, but we don't see everything under our feet yet. That's what it's saying. God's put all things under man's Authority, but we don't see all things yet under man's authority. Verses um, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him or paralyze him, that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus took upon himself the body of a man. He came to earth as a man and he put all things under his feet. 
Now we're going to see how this develops as we go on, and we may not get into all of it today. Now, apparently, God gave Adam a 6,000-year lease on the earth. Now, in Second uh, Peter, let's turn there. Second Peter three eight. Mark is not very good. Second Peter three verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, don't try to use this scripture everywhere in the Bible where you see the word day, okay, because it won't fit. So, it says, with the Lord, a thousand years, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. But you can't apply that scripture every time you see the word day in the Bible because that's not what it means. You, you can't just apply it everywhere. But apparently, God gave Adam a 6,000-year lease on the earth, and at the end of that time, there will be 1,000 years of rest, what the Bible calls the millennial reign of Christ in Revelation 20. Now, in Genesis, God created the earth in six days. Now, and he rested on the seventh. Now, I'm not going to speak for all Bible scholars and all teachers because I'm sure there's disagreement between them about this, but I would say probably those that are truly born again and they believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and they believe all the Bible and not just part of it, are apt to agree that each day of creation was a 24-hour day, not 1,000 years for each day. Okay? I would say most reputable Bible teachers and scholars agree that God created the earth in six 24-hour days. Okay, and he rested on the seventh. Now, on day six, man was created. On day six of creation, on the last day of creation, man was created and brought and made into the likeness and image of God on the last day of creation. In the 6,000th year, if we apply 2 Peter 3.8 to this, and we say six days equals 6,000 years, then in the 6,000th year, which is about where we are right now, from Adam to Jesus was about 4,000 years, and from Jesus to now is about 2,000 years. So depending on which calendar you follow, most Bible scholars 
and Bible teachers on the earth right now believe that we are somewhere in that 6,000th year. And a lot of us believe we're at the end of that 6,000th year. In the 6,000th year, man will come into the likeness and the image of God and will be what he was created to be. And I'm not talking about all men because wicked men are going to get worse. But the body of Christ will come into perfection, mature, complete, in the image of God in the 6,000th year. Now, in um, Ephesians 4, I think it's 11, somewhere in there, where it talks about, and God gave some uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And then it goes on down to verse 13. And in the contemporary English version, it says, Then we will be mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like Him. So that's where we're headed. In the 6,000th year, the body of Christ is going to come into that image of Jesus. And the seventh day... The 7,000th year will be the 1,000 years of rest. Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. Hallelujah. And this is the rest for the people of God, which it talks about in Hebrews chapter 4. So God gave Adam a lease on the earth of approximately 6,000 years. It appears from the Bible. Uh, I know... Like I said, there are some Bible teachers that believe that the entire plan of redemption from start to finish is found in the very first chapter of Genesis. And I believe God is just so great, that's exactly what he would do, you know. So let's turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. And uh, also turn to Psalm 24. Hold your place in there. Did you say Psalm 24? Psalm 24 and Psalm 115. Now, Psalm 115. Verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now, if you turn to Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Now, in Psalm 115, it said, The earth is the Lord's, but the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. And then in Psalm 34, he says, The earth is the Lord's. So that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? On one hand, he says, the earth has he given to men. And the other chapter, he says, the earth is the Lord's. 
But that's not a contradiction. They're both true. God owns the earth, but he leased it to man. Now, let's turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. This is Jesus. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Jesus is portraying a lease on the earth. God created the earth for Adam. He gave Adam complete authority over the earth, and Adam would be the total ruler of the earth under the authority of God. If the earth was totally delivered to Adam, lock, stock, and barrel. And the season, and at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and give or let out or lease the vineyard to others. Now, God is going to come back. God's going to take the lease back after 6,000 years. Okay? But that 6,000 years has not expired yet. The husbandman here in this parable are the people of the earth influenced and inspired by the devil. It's a reflection of what Jesus, of, of what Satan said about Jesus when he said, this is the heir. When, when Satan finally figured out that you know Jesus is the one, he's the one that God said in the Garden of Eden, he's going to bruise your head and you're going to strike his heel. When he realized this is the one that's going to bruise my head, this is the heir. If we can just kill the son and get him out of the way, the inheritance, the vineyard, the lease on the earth will be ours. There won't be any more after him. There won't be any more after the only son. The whole earth will be ours. And that's what Satan thought he was going to be able to do. So Jesus is describing here the lease on the earth. And it says in, in verse 9, uh, he will come and destroy the husbandman and will give or let the vineyard 
out to others. This is talking about when the lease on the earth expires after 6,000 years. But God had other plans. Hallelujah. He's always ten steps ahead of the devil. Now let's put this into a practical term. Practical situation. Let's say... um, Let's say Caroline owns a farm, and she's going to lease it out uh, to Marion. So Caroline owns the farm, and she owns the land, and she owns the ground. But she's going to lease it for Marion to farm. Now, Caroline comes to Marion, and she says, Okay, Marion, I'm going to give you this lease on my farm for a year. And we're going to grow cucumbers and tomatoes and strawberries. And Marion says, no, we're not. We're going to grow wheat. And Caroline says, but I own the farm. And Marion says, yes, but I have the lease on the farm. So as long as I have the lease, I decide what we're going to grow. So even though Caroline owns the farm, she does not have the right to determine what's going to be grown on that land because she has leased it out to Marion. Now Marion could say, now so you can see God gave God leased the earth to Adam. It was his, and he could do with it whatever he wanted to, and he didn't do with it what God wanted him to do with it. Now, Mary can turn around to Caroline and say, I'm going to grow 100 acres of marijuana. And there is not one single thing Caroline can do about it until that lease expires at the end of that year and the farm comes, the land comes back into Caroline's hands. Can you see that situation? Now, if Marion says, I'm going to grow a hundred acres of marijuana, Caroline's thinking, I don't agree with that. I don't like that decision. I didn't intend for my farm to be used is a marijuana farm. I intended it to do people good, not bad. But as long as that lease is in Marion's name, until that lease expires, Caroline cannot alter what is grown on that land. So you, you can understand that situation. So now you can be- begin to see the awkward position that God was in when he leased the earth to Adam, and Adam turned around and subleased it to the devil. So it sounds kind of complicated, but it's really not, is it? So, Adam had the right of choice. Just like Marion had the right of choice to grow on Caroline's farm, whatever she wanted to grow. This was a position God was in when he gave dominion over the earth to Adam in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And let's turn there. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. 
And God said, let us make man in our image. This is day six of creation. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion, or authority, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God did not say, Okay, I created this earth for you, but whatever will be, will be. Just be humble and just let the circumstances of life run over you. And one day when you get to heaven, the devil will be under your feet. No, God didn't say that. He said, have dominion, subdue it. If anything in earth gets out of line, you put it back in line with the way I created it. You use your faith, you speak words, and you change the circumstances. And you put them back in line with my word. So God created the earth and he gave it to man. Adam subleased the earth to the devil. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to him as the God of this world. The little, the little God. He's the little God of this world. Now, if, if Satan now is the little god of this world, then Adam must have been the god of this world before Satan because he turned it over to Satan. So Adam must have been the god of this world before he turned it over to Satan. And he'd been better off if he'd turned it over to a monkey before he turned it over to him, but... Adam was subordinate to God and had been the ruler of the earth. God still owned the earth, but he turned it over to man. Just like Caroline still owned the farm, but she turned it over to Marion for a year. God still owns the earth, but he leased it out to man for 6,000 years. Now, so the earth was subleased to Satan and he began to lord it over God's creation. So, what's God going to do about it? God could not go back to the dust of the earth and create another man. God could not say, okay, wait just a minute. This is not the way I intended for this to happen. I did not intend for Satan to be the new um, ruler on this earth. I did not intend for Adam to sublease this earth to the devil. And any more than Caroline can say, I did not intend for a hundred acres of marijuana to be grown on my farm. God couldn't go back to the dust of the earth. He couldn't go back and just say, forget it, wipe it out, we're starting all over. This is not going the way I wanted it to. You know, like when they're filming a movie and a director, you know, they're doing a scene and the director says, stop it, cut, hold it, this is terrible. 
this scene is not going the way I want it to go. We're going to forget this segment. We're going to start from scratch, and we're going to start all over again, and we're going to do this scene again. But God wasn't making a movie, <laughs> you know. This was the real thing. God couldn't say, cut, that was terrible, Adam. You didn't do that right. We're going to start all over. He couldn't start all over. The dust of the earth now has been leased to Satan. It doesn't belong to God anymore. He can't just physically come storming in here and do something about it because of what we just read in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, because he leased the earth to Adam. So you can begin to see the awkward position that God was in. Now, let's say, um, let's say, let's use another example. Let's say Peter has a business in Portsmouth, South Sea, and he owns a business, business in Guilford, and he owns a business in Farnham. And he appoints a manager over the Farnham office, and he appoints a manager over the Guilford office. And he says to them, now, when you need to make a decision, I'm authorizing you to make a decision on my behalf, and you don't have to call me up and ask me what to do every time you need to make a decision. You make the decision, and uh, you call me and tell me what you did. Now, when he authorizes those managers to make the decisions on his behalf, he may wind up losing a whole lot of money because if those managers make some bad decisions, it could be very, very costly to him. It could cost him, he could lose a lot of money, but there is not really anything he can do about it. He cannot go prosecute those people because he authorized them to make the decisions on his behalf. And even if they make bad decisions, he can't prosecute them because he authorized them. Now, this is the situation God was in. This is why there is salvation for man and there is no salvation for Satan and fallen angels. Because Adam not only had the ability to make a choice and to choose, he had the right to choose because God gave him that right. Angels do not have the right to choose. And that's why Lucifer, when he rebelled against God in heaven, he, he exercised his, he illegally exercised a right to usurp God's position as God. When he said, I will exalt my throne above God. I will be like the Most High and so forth. He had no right to make that choice. God didn't give angels that right. And so that's why he lost his place there and that's why there is no redemption for him. But there is redemption for man even though Adam made the wrong choice. He didn't make the choice God wanted him to make. He made bad decisions. But yet God has provided redemption for man because God gave him the right to choose. So because, we, because Adam had the right to choose, 
God has provided redemption for man. God told him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he made the choice to eat of it anyway. Now somebody might say, well, God didn't do anything to stop him. Yes, he did. God did everything he could to stop Adam from eating of that tree. When he said, don't eat of it because the day you do, you're going to die. You're going to spiritually die. And eventually it will lead to your physical death. When God said don't eat of that tree, he did everything he could to stop Adam from eating of it. Now, some people will say, well, God may not have sent this sickness on me, but he allowed it. Now, what do they mean by God allowed it? Well, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. Well, Jesus has already borne our sickness. He's already borne all of the curse. He's already borne poverty, all the curse for us. So, in that sense, in this dispensation, in this 6,000 year lease on the earth that he's given to man, God physically cannot come down here and do anything else about it. Can you see that? Through Jesus, God has already done something about it. He's already done something about Satan. Through Jesus, he has already destroyed the works of the devil. He's already taken our sicknesses and diseases. He's already redeemed us from the curse. He bore all of that for us. Now it's up to us as born again believers to exercise our authority over the devil and to enforce what Jesus has already done. That's our part on the earth. Amen. God will allow what you allow. He has no choice. It's up to us to stop it. God had given Adam his word about the earth. And it was Adam's to do whatever he wanted to do. Just like that farm was Marion's to do whatever she wanted to do with it for that one year. So Adam sold it out to the devil. That's why there is fighting and wars and crimes. Not because there is not a God, but because there is a God. And he honors his word. God has done all he's going to do about the devil until this earth, this earth lease expires in 6,000 years. And then, God's going to, when, when this lease is up, like we saw in Mark 12, then God is going to change things. It's going to be a different dispensation, different time. This is why God has not eliminated sickness, disease, poverty, and evil works from the earth now, because the earth lease has not expired yet. When the earth lease expires, Satan is finished. As long as the earth lease is still in effect, God has done all he's going to do about the devil. That's why we're talking about our authority on the earth and enforcing God's word on Satan. He may have subleased the earth, but we're here in God's ability and God's authority, and we have authority over him. 
He may be the God of this world. He may have subleased the earth. But it belongs to us. And we're not going to let him run over us. Amen? He, Jesus has defeated Satan through uh, the cross. But just because he has defeated him does not mean that Satan is just going to roll over and play dead. It doesn't mean Satan does not exist. We have to enforce Satan's defeat. I read recently about um, a survey that was taken among people who call themselves Christians. And in that survey, it found that 40% strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but only a symbol of evil. An additional 19% said they agree somewhat with that viewpoint. That means, basically, six out of every ten Christians don't believe the enemy is even real, much less that he is out to destroy their lives. Now, you can see the level of ignorance that we're dealing with in the body of Christ. And that these people don't get in the Word of God and start finding out what Jesus has done for them, what belongs to them, and how to exercise it. They're going to be the devil's dinner. And they love God, and God loves them. And they'll be the first ones to say, I just don't understand why God let this happen to me. God, God will get the blame for it. And they don't even know who the enemy is. The church has had the misconception that man is insignificant and we are just worms in the dirt. Now, with God in the situation that he was in, he had to have a legal avenue to operate in the earth because now he, he still owns the earth, but he leased it to Adam. Adam subleased it to the devil. But God has got to have an avenue whereby he can still operate in the earth through man. So in order to do this, he made covenants with Adam, Noah, and Abraham. And these covenants enable God to have a legal link into the earth. God could not just come back in and destroy the devil. He had the power to do it, but he couldn't do it because of his word in Genesis 1 when he gave Adam dominion over the earth. The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstool. When the earth lease runs out, Jesus will come back to earth when his enemies are put under his feet. We're the body of Christ and we're in the feet. We're in the body of Christ, the feet are in the body, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head, we're the body. If all things have been put under our feet, then we need to exercise it. Jesus is staying seated until the church puts Satan underfoot. 
So in the meantime, we are to exercise our authority and dominion. And Jesus is waiting for us to put Satan underfoot. Some things God has the power to do, but can't do because he is limited by his word. Now, there are people that bring up, you know, you hear people make the comment, well, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he has chosen to bind himself to his word. If God had just come back in the earth, used his Godhead power to destroy Satan and his works, he would have been a liar. Because Satan knew he had given dominion over the earth to Adam. And if God had turned around and said, no, we're not going to do this, I'm taking over again, Satan would have said, you're a liar. I caught you in a lie because I just heard you give this whole earth to Adam and now you're already taking it back. And one thing God cannot do, people say God can do anything. There's one thing God cannot do. He cannot lie. So in his sovereignty, he has bound himself to his word. God is sovereign, but he's not a liar. Now, God has not left us here to fend for ourselves and just be subject to the devil and his works. You know, you hear people say, well, one day when we get to heaven, you know, we'll have our cabin in glory and all this. One day, it'll all be worth it. No, God has given us his authority, his word, and his name. Now, Jesus was the Son of God, born on the earth, but he operated on the earth with the authority of a man. He lived perfect and upright under the old covenant, and no man had ever been able to do that. Jesus was the Son of God, but his authority in the earth did not come from being the Son of God. It came from being born here as a man. Now, I think I'm about to enter a whole another uh, stage two here, which I don't want to start at this point. So I think we'll stop there for now.